Gene. Um, according to Georgine, we are going to be frogging. So count on that. We're going to have to redo some stitches. That is a very cool story. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, there's a focus on the need for unity and how the body works to build itself up. And verse 16 has a very key, key phrase. It says, as each one does its part. And that's a marvelous example of a servant of God who's adjusting to do her part. So thank you so much, Georgine. Bridge Kids, thank you. You are dismissed. Today we're going to continue our Grow Forward series, and we're going to talk about your faith, because faith is required to live the Christian life. In an older New York Post interview, the famed philosopher, theologian, Madonna, once said, money is like everything. Money is like sex. It's like food. They're all manifestations of God. They're blessings we get, but they are not what's going to make us happy. They're not real. They don't last. They're only one, there's only one thing that lasts, and that's your soul. And if you don't work on that, and you don't pay attention to that, then all the money in the world is not going to help you. Um, she was partially right. But money, sex, and food are not manifestations of God. But some things are eternally lasting. And some things are not. The soul is eternally significant. And how we live does impact our future. For Jesus, how we live now has a huge impact on eternity, and he wants us to trust him. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, that is, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And that takes faith. It takes faith to handle money the way Jesus instructs us. Faith is required. So we're going to look at uh, three sections. You have an outline uh, in your program, and I encourage you to follow along. Firstly, uh, giving generously requires a strong trust in God. Giving generously requires a strong trust in God. When you think of trust, there are several synonyms for trust. Uh, faith is a synonym. Belief, reliance are synonyms. Um, faith is being confident in God's promises. It's being confident in God's prom promises. So just a real practical question. Are, are you confident that God's promises are true? That God's promises are true for you? Um, a simple definition of faith is faith is taking God at his word. God says it. Is it reliable? Um, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, 
Now, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. It's confident about the future. It's confident about spiritual realities that we don't see. Is what God said in the scriptures true? Uh, The more you know about a person, the more you learn to trust them, if they are reliable. But you have to know someone to trust them. And to trust them with really important things, you have to know them well. And you have to think they are worthy of your trust. And, and how, do you get to know, how do you get to know someone so that you're, you trust them? When you think about um, who do you trust with your kids, you, you have to have a certain amount of information to allow someone to be around your kids, to be around small children. Who do you trust um, with any business investments that you have? Or if you own a business, if you have properties, if you, um, who do you trust? Who do you trust with your money? Do you trust all your family members with your money? Um, who do you trust? How, and the way you're going to develop trust is by spending time with them, getting to know them, getting to know how they think, how they operate, how they manage life. The same is true with our relationship with God. The the way we're going to know about trusting him is about knowing who he is and what he's done and how he operates. And we have to spend time with him to know that. And we have to know from this book, who he is, what he's done. This is a living word. It's powerful. And um, that's how our faith is going to grow. Trust is crucial for any relationship. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith, when we exercise faith, when we trust God, it pleases him. It brings him joy. And the scripture says our faith gets rewarded by God. Um, Uh, Sometimes those are rewards that happen in this life. Sometimes it's answered prayer. Sometimes um, we're rewarded because we we pray and we trust God. Some rewards are going to be later. Some rewards are going to be in eternity. So when God makes a promise, do you trust him? Next, faith is being confident in God's provision. It's being confident in God's provision. And in just a second, we're going to look at a passage. And the context is Matthew 6, 19 through 32. In the context in Matthew 6, this is a passage we've looked at several times. Uh, The context is this. Jesus instructs us not to store up treasures on earth. And then he instructs us to store up treasures in heaven. Because our hearts are 
follow our treasure. Our hearts follow our money. He tells us then not to worry. If you lay up treasure in heaven, he says, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And then he comes to a very important passage. Matthew 6, 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things that you need will be given to you as well. I added the things you need. Um, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Jesus said we're going to have trouble in this world. We should never be surprised by that. But can we trust him? Can we put his priorities, his values first? And yeah, we've, we can, we've got to deal with the daily issues, the daily problems. We've got to deal with them. But can we put his priorities first, trust him first, and see him take care of us? When it comes to giving generously, it takes faith. Do you trust him? Um, So, giving generously requires a strong trust in Christ. Secondly, giving generously is assigned as a test. God knows our hearts follow our money. Giving generously is assigned as a test. First, God invites us to test him. God invites us to test him with our money. In the 4th century B.C., Malachi, the prophet, spoke for God. And God invites us to test him. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. So God is speaking here through the, through the prophet. And he says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, because God is doing the dialogue. He knows what they're thinking. And, and he says, but you ask, how are we robbing you? And then he answers, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Here's what God says. God says, you are taking things that belong to me. There are things that are mine, and you are taking them. You are robbing me. And he talks about tithes and offerings. So in the Old Testament, uh, by the way, a tithe always means 10%. In the Old Testament, there was a tithe, 10% of everything was to be set aside for the priesthood in serving the temple in Jerusalem. Um, And so 10% was to go to Jerusalem in the storehouse, and so they didn't carry around cash or bags of gold, they had crops. And so if they had 100 bushels of wheat, they were to take 10 bushels of wheat into Jerusalem to the storehouse, 
And as people brought that to storehouses, and there were more storehouses throughout the nation, it was to cover the expenses of the priesthood, the ministers, and it was to feed them. It was to take care of all of the custodial responsibilities of the temple, and it was to feed the poor in the community, okay? That was the, that was the tenth. But you also may know that there was another tenth that was to be given every year. So they, they, they gave their first tenth, and now they have 90% left, and so now they have to give 10% more out of the 90%. So that's 9% of the whole, and that was for a great celebration. Once a year, they were to take a week and have a big party, have a vacation, and not work, and it was focused on celebrating God and appreciating Him, and thanking Him for His provision, and His, his salvation. And that would be fun, you know, a paid vacation, right? You set aside a tenth for your vacation. But the whole focus was worship. But every third year, there was another tenth that was required. This is law. This is not, I'd like to do this. This is what God required of all of His people. The third year was another tenth, and it was for the poor. So, like our mercy fund that we use. And so, um, that's what tithing was in the Old Testament. And God said, test me in this. That would, that would require faith, doesn't it? This is the only thing God ever says you, it's okay to test me with. Everything else, don't test him. Uh, next slide. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And I forgot to just mention the offerings, tithes and offerings. Offerings were above the tithe. And there were lots of opportunities that they had to give above their tithe. And, and many of them did. Very generous. And I'm not trying to make this sound like everything's still the same. But we need to understand what, what was happening here. And God says, test me in this, Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God said, if you trust me, I'm going to take care of you. You can count on it if you trust me. Test me in this. Try it out. That's what God says. Proverbs chapter 3, another passage, verses 9 and 10, Old Testament. Honor the Lord with your wealth. What is he talking about? He's talking about giving money back to God. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to the overflowing, and your vats will, be, will brim over with new wine. Those are all cash crops. That's like money. And he said, honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first fruits. The idea would be, okay, the way, you, the way you honor God is to set aside money for God and his work and his kingdom and do it from the first, off the top, first thing. He's saying, before the mortgage payment or the rent payment or the car payment or the utilities or the groceries. Some of you get nervous. God said, Test me in this. He's can take care of you. 
Uh, next, God remembers our generosity. God remembers our generosity. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. The same, just a couple of verses after he said, test me in this. It says, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. God pays attention. He keeps a scorecard, so to speak. He tracks our hearts. By the, one of the ways he does is by how we handle our money. He remembers. It makes a difference. Same idea comes in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. In the first century, Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 19. So Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, the believers there, and he says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. You were the faithful ones. For even when I was in Thessalonica, another city where another church is, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul's saying, you were generous. You, you supplied for my needs. You sent financial resources to help out the work of the gospel. Next slide. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, Paul isn't keeping a ledger book. He's talking about an eternal accounting in our relationship with God. Paul says, it's not that I want money from you. I'm thankful but what I want is to see your generosity. I want to see your grow. Because, verse 18, he says, I've received full payment and have more than enough. That's one of the biggest issues we face, is when is enough enough? When are we satisfied? When are we content? He said, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now notice this. They are a fragrant offering. And he's using a metaphor from Old Testament sacrifice. The idea when a, when a believer by faith obediently brought sacrifices to God, the, the picture is, uh, and this is something that's burning, a sacrifice that's burning, and it, it brings, it's a fragrant aroma to God. And he is well pleased, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This was their money that they gave to support the work of the gospel. Next slide. And here's the promise. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Because that requires faith to trust him to set aside part of your money to give back to God. Now, 45 years ago today, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, and he dramatically changed my life. It took about two months before I got really clearly exposed to biblical giving. It was by an elder in the church. I was joining a church, had an elder come to my house, 
heard my faith story, began to talk to me about, did I understand about giving? He told how God had been faithful to him and how God provided for him and how he'd learned to tithe. That was the very first time that I was challenged. And Sue and I came away. Sue had been wanting to be, Sue, Sue was always generous. But Sue and I came away and we talked. And that was the first time that I really wanted to be generous. And I really began to see what it means to set aside a portion of my income to give back to God. And all I want to say, for 45 years, I've never found, God is so faithful and so generous with me. And we have evaluated constantly how can we raise our percentage. Uh, our, as, as income fluctuates, how do we manage and how can we learn to give more? And uh, like many of you, we're just seriously praying, what does God want us to do in the months ahead? Thirdly, giving generously brings eternal rewards. Giving generously brings eternal rewards. This is one of those areas where I don't think the American church cares about this or believes it. I think some Christians just kind of do their little part and they don't really see the big picture of impacting eternity and seeing lives changed. Some do. I think a lot of people don't. They don't see the eternal priority of this. Uh, I think some Christians, when they put something in the offering, are just throwing a little tip at God. Good service. So, first of all, generosity will be personally acknowledged by Jesus. It's going to be personally acknowledged by Jesus. Luke chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said this. He says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the right." at the righteous. This is about kindness and generosity. You could say compassion, sure. But this is about using resources to serve God. And Jesus said, at the resurrection, you will be repaid. He's not talking about in this life. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about when you meet him face to face. Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus said this, he said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to the one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Jesus is valuing this. A cup of cold water is small, but can be a sacrifice, or it can be giving, it can be serving. And Jesus said, it's going to make a difference, and I'm going to remember this in eternity. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Now, it's not going to be just about money. It's going to be about our lives. Did we take God seriously? Did we live by faith? Did we trust him? 
But certainly included in this is, what are you going to do with what Jesus said about your money? Did you really lay up treasure in heaven? Also, generosity will be acknowledged as an eternal kingdom investment. Generosity will be acknowledged as an eternal kingdom investment. And so a passage we've looked at, and you're going to see this one again, Matthew 6, verses 20 and 21. Jesus said, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's talking about setting aside money for the future, an investment that there will be a return, but you're not going to necessarily see it in this life. It will have an eternal value. And then he said in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our hearts follow our money. Are you convinced of that? Sometimes people just, little heart for God, but I got to manage all this other stuff. I don't, I don't have enough for God. Key passage in our growth groups, in all of our growth groups, is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And the Apostle Paul in the first century says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Command those who are rich. Now, that's kind of a big, the big focus is we are rich. The problem often is we don't feel like it. And we don't feel like it because we see people with more than us. And we measure ourselves against other people. And sometimes we feel bad because we compare. And Apostle Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world. We, everyone in this room, is rich in this present world. So... Um, there are different numbers that get tossed around here. One of the latest I've seen, 2019, is that if you have an income of $34,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the entire world regarding income. Now, you might be disappointed to be in the 1%. You'd like to be in the super elite. Now, you're not in the top 1% in the U.S., at 34,000. But in the world, in this present world, we are rich. And Paul gives us this warning. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Because one of the problems that we face is if we build resources financially, if we have a little wealth, we don't even like to use that word as it applies to us, do we? Because we are not wealthy, it's the other people who are. It's so easy to compare ourselves with others, and we're not as, we don't have as much as those people, but we're better off than them. And we like that. And um, the danger is thinking we're better than some other people. 
because of our resources. And the danger is, is to begin to trust in, how much is my paycheck? The danger is to begin to trust in my savings account, my retirement plan, my social security, my properties, my family's money. The danger is, is to count on that and leave God out. Because God is the one who provides for us. He owns everything, and he allows us to be his money managers. And he goes on, you know, don't put your hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. Oh, we would like to make it certain. But put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know, one of the cool things is there's God wants us to enjoy this creation. That's not our primary focus, but if, if you enjoy things, God made things for you to enjoy that are good. And then he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Last slide. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. This is eternal. This is future. So that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Real values that last for an eternity. Laying up treasure building a solid, firm foundation for eternity, I don't think we look very far ahead. We look more about next week and next month than we think about what is it going to be like in eternity? What difference? Will, will we one day stand before Jesus and say, oh, I wish I'd understood that. I wished I would have gotten that. Also, generosity brings God's favor in this life. This is encouraging. Generosity brings God's favor in this life. Do you need God in your life on a daily basis? Do you need God on your team? Do you need God working with you in all that you do? 2 Corinthians 9 Verses 6 through 18, uh, excuse me, 6 through 8, Paul writes, we've seen this before, remember this, because we forget, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He's using an agricultural term here, sowing and reaping. He's talking about, this whole section is talking about giving. And he's talking about whoever gives sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever gives generously will reap generously. Whoever is stingy with God, God will be stingy with them. Whoever is generous with God, God will be generous with them. Verse 7. Uh, yeah, next slide. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. That's what he wants. He wants our heart. And he says, each of you should give. That applies to everybody in this room. If you're a follower of Christ, each of you should give. 
If you're married, that's a decision of husband and wife together. It's a we decision. We decide. Because two become one. Each of you should decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want to guilt you into anything. He doesn't want to twist your arm. He just wants a willing heart who loves him, who wants to give back. Because God is a giving God. And God wants us to become more and more generous like him. And God is able to bless your, your socks off. That's what it means. God, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants to bless you, to give you favor, which include resources for every good work. Now, some good works don't require more resources, but he wants to equip you for good work. Some good works require resources, and he wants to equip you for those good works financially. If it's about advancing the kingdom, and that's one of the encouragements I have about the Grow Forward, I really believe if we will have a permanent facility one day, it will enhance and enable us to reach more and more people for Christ. That's why I can ask God for this is because this is a part of a good work that God is doing in us. Next slide. This is verse 10. We jumped. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the f- bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. There's a lot of stuff going on there. The one who supplies your stuff and your money and your resources can supply you with more so you can do more. Not only that, you are going to grow in righteousness. The harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, sometimes with money, sometimes with spiritual resources, different ways that God will give input into your life and grow you. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous because that's what God wants on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God, which is going to lead to our next point, resulting in thanksgiving to God. What's that? It's worship. As the kingdom of God advances one life at a time, more and more people learn to thank God and give him worship. As the gospel advances, so does thanksgiving. So does worship. And that brings us to our last point. Generosity magnifies the reputation of God. Generosity magnifies the reputation of God. And we're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 12 through 15. This service that you perform, he's talking about giving, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. When people were helped, they thanked God. When people came to faith, they thanked God. 
and they learned how God works and how he works through people and how he works through the church, and they thank God. Because of the service, verse 13, by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession. Believers who gave generously out of obedience because of their confession of faith in Christ and taking God at his word. And your generosity in sharing with them, with everybody else, next slide, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Grace, God's favor, God's generosity on them so that the gospel moves forward. And then Paul is just overwhelmed with the goodness of God, and he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, referring to his Savior who died on the cross for him. Randy Alcorn writes, Suppose you have an important package to send someone who needs it. You take it to an overnight delivery service. What would you think if instead of delivering the package, the driver took it home? Then you would confront him. He says, if you didn't want me to keep it, why'd you give it to me in the first place? You'd say, that package doesn't belong to you. Your job is to deliver to the person who needs it. God wants us to use his money in other places than just for ourselves. God wants to send money to meet the needs of people and his church, and he wants his kingdom to advance, and he wants to see more and more people become true worshipers. Hebrews 11.1, 1, just as a reminder, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not say, see. Faith is about trusting God, about trusting his promises, about trusting his provision. Faith is essential for the Christian life. I know probably everyone in the room who are Christ followers could agree with that. Faith is essential for the Christian life. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. The Apostle Paul writes, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And of course, that's talking about coming to faith in Christ to begin our relationship with God, to understand it's by faith. It's not by works. It's not by anything else. It's, it's about what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. He paid it all, and then it requires our response back in faith to trust him to receive the gift of our salvation. It starts with faith, but it goes on by faith, day by day. Not to earn salvation, not to get salvation, because that's been given and received. But it's about trusting in the promises of God one day at a time. The righteous shall live by faith. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. But my righteous one will live by faith. And then God says, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. 
Last thing. Don't rob God. Let's stand and pray. Father, one of the hallmarks of uh, Christians throughout the centuries has been faith. Coming to faith in Jesus, having our lives changed, experiencing forgiveness, learning to love, to love people, to love you, to love one another, to learn to follow, to look at your word, see how you've designed the Christian life, and to live it out one day at a time. God, grow our hearts and grow our faith. Instruct us about generosity. Help us to be wise. Help us to manage the resources that you've given us very well. Help us see the eternal significance of our lives and how we handle money. And may each of us just think about the question, are we being selfish? Are we robbing you? In Jesus' name, amen.